calling all consumer goods, business owners, and marketing professionals. Does planning content ahead of time stress you out? Do you want to run Instagram and Facebook ads, but just aren't sure where to start? If your answer is yes and yes, then our mini course was made for you. It's 100% free and packed with essential tactics that you can implement as soon as today. To join in, visit our website at umymarketing.com slash mini course. All right, let's get on with the pod. All right, everyone, welcome to the Umai Social Circle, where we talk consumer goods marketing tips to help business owners and marketers grow. I'm Allison, and that's Karen. We are co-founders of Umai, and we're here being joined by Michelle Breyer, who is the Chief Operating Officer at SKU, the Consumer Products Accelerator that calls Austin home. (laughs) Welcome, Michelle. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. We're excited to be talking to you. I love what you guys do, and I, I love what you do for companies in the space. And so we're all, all one big happy family here in Austin. <laughs> That's right. So I think we really wanted to dive into your background first. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> because it was really interesting. So you got your start in journalism. Yes. Yeah. And I thought I was always going to be a reporter. I loved being a reporter. I loved writing about entrepreneurs. Um, It was probably the feature stories on founders were my favorite thing. You know, never expected to be a founder, um, never expected to have an amazing job where I get to work with founders. But yeah, I I loved being a, a business reporter. Was there a founder story that you can think of now that you just will always stay with you that was just super inspiring? Well, I actually followed John Mackey from Whole Foods around for a year. I had covered Whole Foods when they were a tiny company, or not totally tiny, but much tinier, like 12 stores, and which really ages me, but oh well. You know, it was really kind of amazed one day I turned around and they were a billion dollar company. And it's like, how did they get here? You know, like they used to be like this tiny little regional grocery chain. So I did a year long project where I basically followed John Mackey around for a year, went to store openings, you know, just got to know him really well. And I think that was my most memorable. Uh, It was a series of articles that all ran on a Sunday, but definitely my most memorable. I'd say second to that was Herb Kelleher from Southwest Airlines. It was a two hour interview where he must have smoked two packs of cigarettes during that time. But he is like the most charismatic, amazing amazing entrepreneur you've ever met. Like you would have, I know he's passed away since then, but you would have followed him anywhere. You would have invested any amount of money because he was that. I have to look into him. I, I don't know anything about him, but John Mackey following what that's experience to take with you to skew. That's incredible. Yeah, I, it really was an amazing experience because I spent a lot of time in stores and, um, you know, stores in Boulder and Beverly Hills and, you know, New York and brands, the brands we work with, those are the brands that you see in a Whole Foods store. And they're really the reason I think a Whole Foods is so, so successful because they have all these emerging brands and they were probably maybe one of the first chains that focused on those type of brands. Yeah. Very cool. I, my fondest memories of CPG are going to those conventions. And um, I don't know if you know who Scott Price is, but he well, was, yeah. he's an, we, <laughs> I say this really fondly and lovingly. We would refer to them as the OG Whole Foods hippies because oh. they're like this group of the mo- the coolest folks um, that started at Whole Foods, right? When it yeah. was starting. 
Yeah, we had a guy um, at our at the Statesman when I worked there who was one of their first investors. And he was like a hippie kind of groovy guy. And then one day he retired, I think he was probably in his 50s and had, you know, I mean, I can't even imagine what he was worth. He would never have known it because he was such a down to earth guy. But I think there was this whole group of them that just uh, they were in it for, you know, really the right reasons. I don't, well, I don't think there's a wrong reason for investing in a company, but they, they just really were having fun with it. Like they had fun being a part of this growing company. So you grew up in California, is that correct? Yes. And yes. what drew you to Austin? Was the Statesman the first newspaper job you had? I actually took a job in San Antonio first. I was living in San Diego and I was just ready for a change. And I, you know, was getting a couple of job offers, you know, like I had sent out a whole bunch of clips, you send out newspaper clips, and I had gotten job offers in Tennessee and um, Southern California, other papers in Southern California, and uh, Great Falls, Montana, and then the San Antonio light flew me out there for, I worked on the paper for a week, because you have what they call tryouts, and it was Christmas time, it was, I think, almost exactly this time of year. And I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with the people at the paper, with the town. I was ready to do something really radical. So I was in my 20s. I'm like, I'm moving to Texas. Woo! And it was like the best thing that I ever did. So glad you ended up here. It's great. I, I am too. I can't even imagine if I hadn't because of all the, like I think of all the friends and just the things that have happened here, you know, starting a company, every everything happened that probably wouldn't have happened had I not moved here. Like who knows what, what would have replaced it, but it's been a pretty, pretty good run. Working like with the Statesman and in San Antonio, then you started Naturally Curly. Is that the right order yeah. of events? Yeah. And was that yeah. a blog or a community first or? Well, we, it really was a total hobby. Um, I had some curly friends of the paper and we would complain about our hair all the time. And, and we, um, you know, moving from California where I had a whole routine, you know, straightening it and then, you know, putting curlers, hot curlers in and then, you know, plastering it with hairspray and that just wasn't going to work here. And so I had to kind of come to peace with my hair for the first time in my life. And because I had of couple, humidity or? <laughs> yeah, the heat and humidity were, um, I, I just couldn't fight it anymore. Mm-hmm. And I had some friends who, worked at the paper with me and we had the similar issues. And so we were um, complaining about our hair at a party and someone overheard us. There must be other people like you who complain about your hair. You should start a magazine or a website. And we did as a hobby, totally as a hobby, like no intentions of it being a business, making any money, but we tapped into something. And I think that's also been something that I've taken with me to skew is a sense of being like on the front of a trend because we were at the very front of a trend. There was no curly hair industry. And we kind of helped create that industry. We kind of proved to brands, like there's more than half the population that has curly hair. We spend a lot of money. We spend more money than people with straight hair. So maybe you need to take this seriously, but it was really all of these emerging brands, like one person entrepreneurs, you know, one person companies, um, you know, female founders largely, uh, primarily women of color, and they were creating products in their in their kitchens and they were showing the L'Oreal's and the Unilever's of the world like that this was a market. I mean, they were the leaders and 
it was kind of an amazing thing to watch. And I'm seeing the same thing now, like in food and beverage and all these other consumer product companies. I mean, like people want brands with a story. They want people who are passionate about what they do and that they, they are doing this because they're filling a need in their own lives. And, you know, that was 100% the way it was happening in, in curly hair. So I'm guessing with ski, that's something that you really look at getting in front of a trend. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, you want to or if you are in a part of a trend that's already big, you want to offer something unique in that trend. Mm -hmm. What we're starting to see, like in curly hair specifically, it was really easy to be to get a big uh, audience, community, customer base at the beginning because it was unusual for anyone to offer a product for curly hair. And now there's so many of them. You better be offering something revolutionary, different ingredients, different way of applying it, different kind of, you know, it's a cream gel dry spray or something. (laughs) You can't just be a me too anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that we see that, you know, in food and Bev and, and really everything. So where is naturally curly now? What is, are you still working on it? What's, Um, well, I actually, they still call me up on a regular basis when there are things happening where they need advice or help 22 years later it's still operating it's kind of amazing you know I mean it makes me really happy I mean it's undergone a lot of changes over the years but there's still some people who were there almost from the beginning not not the founders but just people who joined the company a lot of them were people who discovered it when they were dealing with their own hair issues so they they came to it like with a sense of it was, it was theirs too, which I love, you know, like they were a part of this, this company. 22 years of community building is insane. It is insane. (laughs) And now like what you're saying, it's like, why, why was this not like a need being met 22 years ago? It's so wild. You know, like sometimes I still get angry about it because it was this perception that everybody wanted to look a certain way. And that if you didn't fit this like very defined little box of what was considered okay, then we don't even want to mess with you. We, we, you know, our marketing department at this huge consumer product company, you're not on our radar. Mm -hmm. So we're going to ignore you. And what they ended up doing is, is missing the boat. I mean, I don't know how many times uh, Pantene has relaunched a curly line because they just never got it right. And even if they did get it right, there's still a lot of people who it's like, well, you, you don't care about this. You're only, you know, like, <laughs> I'm gonna go to the market. Where I know the woman who started it and I know she did it because she authentically wanted to help her own curls and she understands the ingredients. You know, like, I don't trust this bigger company who ignored me for, you know, mm-hmm. decades. I love Pantene. Don't get me wrong. This is not, this is not throwing shade on Pantene. Don't it's, come for her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's so happening. crazy. Like you're saying they still get it wrong. Yeah, in a lot of cases. I mean, I remember a very well-known company. I mean, I'll just say it. Come on. It was Dove. And Dove came out with a curly line. And it was a big deal because they put all this money behind 
a campaign that was the most beautiful campaign. They do that better than anybody, like the real woman and, mm -hmm. you know, made you cry. And they were telling their curly hair stories. And yeah, I've know, definitely like, cried on Dove commercials. Oh yeah. And it was that typical thing. Like I didn't feel good about myself and I hated my hair. And, and then the actual product line was so horrible. It was like one shampoo, one conditioner and one styling product for every kind of curly hair. Mm. And, and I was like, so you spent all this money over here, but you never even did your research mm -hmm. or your homework. It's not one box again. Yeah. yeah. Marketing cannot, cannot, uh, let's, let's see. Uh, you can't market yourself out of a bad product, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> Absolutely. What's that lifetime value? You yeah. can get somebody to buy the one product. time you're, mm -hmm. yeah. And they're never going to purchase it again. And they're going to tell all their friends it's a bad product. Mm -hmm. So just right. take some of that beautiful filming marketing money and like spend the time on the product. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I actually learned a lot from your site. I learned um, I need to do a um, test with my hair to see how porous it is. <laughs> Did it and float? I learned that I, <laughs> it floats or sinks. And then I learned I'm like an L1 wave or something. <laughs> It's like, man, so educational. Yeah, it is. It is. It's kind of mind boggling. And only curly girls really understand this. And you can run, walk up to any curly girl on the street and you can get into like a half hour conversation and they will understand everything. They'll, they will talk about their porosity. They will talk about all this. And someone walking by without curly hair will think you're crazy. <laughs> But we don't care. No. <laughs> I love how you branded them curly girls. You you say that. And I think that's so fun. I've never called myself a straight hair girl. And it's not cool. I'm never going to do that. Curly girls. Well, are you could. It's just like being a curly. We, we even say like just a curly. Being a curly, um, because you've had to kind of probably come to peace with it. And it's been like something that you probably didn't always love. There was a. I don't, I don't know. There's just something unique about how it, how it impacts your life. That's For awesome. Sure. So 22 years of community, what are some things that you, your team, everybody there has done to really keep that community alive over that long of a course? Influencers come and go. And you probably see that, you know, this, like there's a, a lifespan on influencers, which I feel bad about, but they are they are their brand and there's always somebody right behind them who is ready to take their place and if you're not but the website has all of these voices and it has 22 years of content and it is evergreen content a lot of it and from an seo standpoint you can't come close like you type curly hair and we will come naturally curly will come up day in day out that's just the way it is um and it's really the people like just you know pa people pass it down to each other hairstylists pass it down to each other like there's this just constant new generation of people who go there to get their information and i think that's why it continues to kind of live on that's awesome well <clears throat> inspirational first yeah. of all but what led you to skew well, we sold the company in 2018 and I was, you know, I was still consulting, but I was doing a lot of, I had started to do some mentoring before then. I really love mentoring 
and had mentored for Div Inc and Mass Challenge and was recruited to SKU by um, one of the board members. They were really looking for mentors with some beauty background and personal care background to kind of, um, I mean, there were people there, but just to really uh, increase the number of people who could help brands that had that, you know, that were in that category because they like to have category experts. And I just fell in love with it. I mean, my my company that I mentored for was a company called Lamique Beauty. And um, she was like this amazing, she is this amazing like force of nature. And she had actually done my eyebrows at an event like years ago where I was speaking at an event. And so I already knew her and really liked her. And I just like the whole community. I mean, it's an amazing community. It really is like a, a who's who. I mean, you know, it's like rock stars. Mm-hmm. And they came to me in the fall of 2019 and said that there was a position and they wanted me to consider, you know, taking it. And I had said to people before that, like, when they asked, like, what kinds of jobs would you want to do now on from now on? I, I thought, well, I want to be a mentor and I just need to find a way to make that my full time job. So I, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> So I, feel, yeah. I feel lucky every day that that it worked out that way because SKU has been so much fun. It's just been, I mean, it's been such an exciting time to be a part of it too because we've been expanding. And for SKU 9, we have companies who applied from all over the country, like so many strong companies. And it, sorry, I'm shaking my computer. So you're probably like, woo, <laughs> on a ride. And it, it's just, it's an incredible time to be a part of uh, CPG in general, you know, but definitely to be a part of SKU where you, you have this impact on people's um, companies and you can help help them realize their potential. And we're launching a, uh, a diversity and inclusion track with Naturally Austin in, in the late spring, early summer. And so that's really exciting. And that was something that I've been really kind of one of Emily Keaton Emily Keeley and I uh, came up with the idea for doing this over a couple of cocktails, which is how Natchi Curly started too. <laughs> but just this sense that we needed to do better as a community in terms of of making sure we have diversity. And you know, CPG is not as diverse as it needs to be. So why why isn't it? And what is you know, like what is that bridge that we can help create? to make it a much more inclusive community. So, so we're really excited about it. It's called MO. And I mean, I just, I can't wait. I mean, so many amazing uh, mentors want to get involved, um, people of color. Uh, companies have just jumped on board, Amplify Snacks and Gathered Foods and Egan Nelson. Like everybody wants to get involved because they want to, like, everybody sees this as something so important. It's exciting. <laughs> so exciting. I saw that in the newsletter today and I was just pumped. Emily's been talking about it. Well, not divulging any of the details, but just mentioning it. And I cannot wait to hear the details. And Yeah, yeah. And, and we'll probably try to, to recruit as many people from the community as we can to get involved with it. You know, subject matter experts, because we just want to create the best possible program. You know, I, I don't know. I can't say enough good things about it. <laughs> that's exciting yeah one of my biggest so complaints with Austin is it's just it's not diverse you know and the same to say with CPG it's just 
not as inclusive as you want to see it. And so I'm glad that there are things being put into place by our leaders in the industry to help be more inclusive. I think it's exciting. Well, and it's interesting for me specifically because the industry I came from specifically like textured hair was so the opposite. I mean, it was kind of the exception. I mean, the rule rather the exception that the company was founded by um, a person of color. I mean, I'd say probably 80% of the companies that had been founded, and there were so many companies founded, were founded by women of color. So that was just something that became the norm. And I wasn't seeing that necessarily in the greater CPG community. Exciting for you to take that knowledge and bring it here. And yeah, I mean, share. hopefully, we were talking about it today. We have an amazing woman named, uh, her name is Bianca. She is this incredible uh, instructor of uh, personal finance at Rice University. And she was the, she is the fractional CFO for a company that was in our DFW track, this amazing 17-year-old sauce boss, Tyla Simone <laughs> Creighton. And so Bianca worked with Tyla Simone. And so she's getting involved with this and she's as excited as anybody. She's like, oh my God, this is like, everyone is taking it so much um, like, like in this wonderful way, this ownership of it. Like, I love this. I, what can I do to make this successful? And we were, we were on the phone today and it just was like so many great ideas and so much passion and energy. And, you know, like it, it was amazing. Definitely. Awesome. So for people that don't know SKU, which everyone should check it yeah. out, um, tell us a little bit more about it. What's SKU's core mission? We um, were founded in 2011 by a group of local CPG entrepreneurs, uh, Sherry Wynn Ressler and Clayton Christopher and Scott Jensen, Joe Ross, Dan Graham. Um, it really got founded awareness that the same kind of support and resources that existed for the tech industry, which, you know, is very entrepreneurial here in Austin, did not exist for CPG. And like CPG was exploding in Austin or just starting to get to the point where it was a major force. So there was a sense like, why don't we create something that can help accelerate emerging brands? And it had some, you know, initial big successes, which kind of proved that this could be something, you know, should be something, it could be a force. Like Epic, Epic was a huge success, you know, sold to General Mills for a hundred million dollars. So um, it kind of, you know, the first, the first track had four companies and it kind of was progressively, we're up to, you know, seven to eight companies per track. We expanded into um, New York in the fall of 2019, um, a partnership with Beyond Brands, which is a marketing uh, company for, for uh, CPG and expanded into the Twin Cities this last summer uh, with, with a partnership with a purpose-driven accelerator. And it's aimed at incubating and accelerating uh, purpose-driven CPGs. It's called Impact SKU. And then we were uh, recruited up to Dallas kind of <laughs> unexpectedly, like if you had told me this time last year, we would have expanded into DFW there, like that wasn't even on the radar, but one of our um, amazing mentors, Richard Riccardi, 
they were trying to build a more robust CPG community in DFW. And he's like, we need SKU up here. You know, would you guys be up for it? And so in the course of like three months, we put together SKU DFW and it was amazing. And, you know, the common thread with all of the programs is that through super engaged mentorship and curriculum, you can really help these startups, you know, grow much quicker and um you know the the mentorship is really i think the the special thing about skew it's all these incredibly seasoned successful cpg leaders and investors who are giving their time and their expertise and their their network to help these emerging brands and it's just a, a incredible thing to watch when you see like the ceo of deep eddy working with a beverage company to um you know kind of help figure out how to how to get where they want to be quicker because if you're working with someone who's already done it before they can really help you in so many ways pretty incredible one of the companies that was a part of dfw it was a plant-based jerky company and on that team we had the founder of no the vp of uh frito-lays kind of the baked division and um smart pop then we had the VP of marketing for, for Amplify Snacks. So Skinny Pop and Pirate's Booty. And we had the you know head of innovation, Converse Shoes. And we had a, a operations expert and a branding expert. And it was just amazing to see how it took that founder, you know, like literally from here to here. Mm-hmm. And he, he says to me, like, I must talk to him once a week. Like, I can't believe how lucky I am. I didn't even know what I didn't know. And now he has this amazing group of advisors who have just taken him under their wing and are really helping him potentially become kind of the next generation of success stories. So that to me is really kind of the essence of, of SKU, mm-hmm. like that, that nurturing, mentoring, educating uh, this next generation of CPG companies. And gosh, I mean, you cannot put a price on that type of mentorship. No, just... you can't. You can't. It, it, and just to have people who just enjoy and are passionate about doing it, you know, like they, they love working, like the Scott Jensen's of the world who will just give their time and their knowledge, you know, and just love it. You know, like that's mm-hmm. an incredible thing. It's like, like gold. Definitely. So like what type of brands should apply to SKU. Um, what type of brands do you look for for your programs? It's kind of a combination of things. It's number one, a product that has something unique about it and it's in an, you know a hot category and they have some traction. We like our companies like an Austin track to have about at least 200,000 in sales. So between like 200,000 and a million is kind of the sweet spot. We want founders who have like a really great story and who are really passionate about what they do and who enjoy learning. Like they know what they know and they know what they don't know. And they are willing to be surrounded by mentors and to learn and listen and grow. And uh, I think that, and then there's a little bit of the, the magic behind it where you just have a gut feeling about a company where it's like, I just really, I like them. I think that they're, you know, that they have a real chance of being a big success. If we can just plug in, you know, some of these key things, we can really help them. 
Mm-hmm. So do you go through like a few rounds of interview phases where that's where you're going to see like their charisma or things like that? Yeah. And they, they ultimately have to do kind of a, a pitch kind of interview to a group of mentors and you learn a lot then, you know, you, you've tasted their products by then or smelled them or whatever, because there's not just food and beverage companies, there's personal care, you know, and clothing and all kinds of things. So you've had that chance to kind of touch and feel and taste. But then when you see the founder pitch, it really gives you like kind of a window into who they are. Um, If they're asked questions, do they get super defensive? How do they respond to questions? How well do they know their market? You know, in talking to them, do you see, do they have a clear idea of what they think they can get out of SKU? Because if it's just, you know, I want to raise money and that's the only thing, then that's not a really good candidate because SKU is really about the whole process of becoming, you know, figuring out who you are as a company and, and really developing your strategy. Well, that being said, what do you see most brands struggle with um, at, when they come onto your accelerator program? Is it like the financing aspect? Is it marketing messaging? What's the biggest pain point, I guess, for brands? And but it's, ne- it's never oh. one thing. Like with one brand, it might be that because they have the wrong co-packer, their margins are, are, much lower than they should be. So there may be operations issues. And then another case, there may be like major marketing issues. Like they don't know who their market is, or they're going after a market who is not the the market that's actually going to be buying their products. So you never see just like one thing that is like the the biggest issue that every company faces. Mm -hmm. Some have one thing really down, like they know, like their branding is beautiful. They don't need to make any changes to that. But then like their, their margins are so low that they're never going to make any money. Mm-hmm. Is there a recurring theme with some of the most successful brands that have come through the program? Is there something that you see in all of them that's similar? They're really coachable. Like they really want to learn. They are sponges and they know how to take the information from their mentors. And some of it may be like how to synthesize it to make their company a better company. And, and you'd think that everybody who starts, you know, who's, who goes through an accelerator has that, those attributes, but that's not the case. You know, like some people just, they think they know it all. Mm-hmm. I'd say most of the time with SKU founders, they are, the, they are coachable. But, you know, like I've seen throughout, you know, the various accelerators I've been a part of and incubators, there are just, founders who don't want to listen. They, they really think that they, they know their market, they know their product, they know it all. It's like, then why are you in this program? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I mean, you can't listen to everything that everybody says, and you have to have some sense that you know a little bit about what you're doing, but you can't be so rigid that you're not listening to people who may know more than you do. Mm-hmm. I think that's so tough sometimes, especially with people whose heart and soul is in this product that they've worked so hard on and, you know, yeah. they think they know what's best. And sometimes you just got to take that mentorship and yeah, learn from it. Totally. Yeah, exactly. Very cool. Well, how many people usually apply to SKU? And- um, a couple hundred. Oh, wow. And they're really from all over the country. And then we narrow it down to about 15 
for the interview process. And then we'll be announcing our, our ninth cohort in January. Exciting. <laughs> Exciting. We have some really, really, really amazing companies. I'm so excited. That's so exciting. So is it like an equity? Do they give equity? They do. Okay. And that's something unique. It's kind of a shark tank type of um, mm-hmm. approach. But because of that, because the companies are giving up a little bit of equity and the mentors all have kind of fractional equity in all the companies in a track, there's a little bit of a, you know, like there's skin in the game. So there's a seriousness to it and maybe a little bit more willingness to kind of open up your Rolodex and, and uh, you know, dig in a little bit more. But I have to say the reason that most of our mentors get involved is not for the equity. They get involved because they love it and they love that it excites them to work with founders. They love working with other mentors. Like they love this community. And if it was only for the money, I don't think they'd be the right mentors. Right. I mean, it sounds like a lot of fun to just help build really cool CPG brands. Oh, it's so, so, so much fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Never that's a dull moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> and COVID just, COVID was never a dull moment in every possible way, but oh my gosh. you saw some of these companies, like some of them are doing so much better than they even projected pre-COVID. You know, like they just were able to kind of pivot to D to C and maybe that's what they should have been all along, but they didn't know it. And so one of them, Esker Beauty, she, you know, her sales are you know, double digits higher than what she projected. Wow. So that's kind of exciting. It's like the silver lining of all this craziness that we've been going through this year. And a great thing for smaller brands that can pivot and pivot totally. quickly. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Maybe they're, you know, they're a little bit more flexible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those March, those March humps in sales were just incredible for a lot of our brands that we work with. It was yeah. just thankful to be in this business, right? Yeah, so, totally. yeah, well, we love, I love in your LinkedIn bio, it says, don't tell me something can't be done. Let's work to make it a reality. And I love that because I feel like sometimes there are just these roadblocks that people don't know how to get over by themselves. Um, so what are some recurring roadblocks you see with these small business owners that you work with? Um, a lot of it has to do with, you know, how to do, a, you know, if they don't have the money to do the things they need to do to make the money, like they need to get more customers, but to get more customers costs money. So I'd say um, that's a big recurring theme. Like, how, so you, we try to teach them how to do things scrappy, like how to do things on their own until they can afford to pay for them. You know, whether that's, um, and I think you guys have been helpful in, in spreading this, the word about some of the things that you can do from a kind of a social marketing perspective before you can afford to, you know, at some point you want someone doing that for you, but in the beginning, you may have to learn to do that yourself and, but it is like a chicken egg thing. So I mm-hmm. think that's that's one of those where you just have to kind of figure out some things on your own or, you know, leverage uh, UT and interns and things like that till you can get to that point where you can hire, you know, a professional team. Yeah. So how big generally are the teams, the uh, teams of the brands that you you work with? 
one to two people. Uh, okay. That's a <laughs> mm-hmm. bigger, I mean, that's what we see all the time. And it's like, there's so many facets of CBG. There's so many moving parts and I'm just consistently impressed with how much founders do. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I remember, you know, when people, it's funny, I was, um, boxing up a whole bunch of things for our mentors. I was, it was interesting. We had these special boxes that were made and it was like a puzzle to put them together. So I was sitting on my living room floor, putting them together, packing them up, you know, taping up the boxes, putting on the UPS stickers. But that's what I used to do all the time at Naturally Curly. Like before we got to 50 people, I was packing up, um, you know, 500 goodie bags or whatever. Like you have to be willing to do that. If you, if you are not willing to do that, then you shouldn't be a founder. You know, like there's, you should know how to do every single job and you should never think that a job is below you. Mm, I love that advice. (laughs) I mean, some people get really surprised with, you know, an example, Hema of 10 Star Foods Key. They have what, 50,000 followers on Instagram. She does everything. And people are so surprised by that. They, I remember we would run, run their social campaigns or giveaways and, you know, it was, they had always worked with HEMA, directly with HEMA. It was just incredible that they thought that it was a team of 10 or so. And we've worked on different brands like that, where the founder has been running the social for so long, like, and everything else. And people are just really surprised by that. And I think that that's just a note for founders now that, you know, might think they need other people right now, but they're just not at that stage yet. They just need to grind. And the most dangerous thing that can happen is to raise money too quickly, almost where you have all this money and you aren't going to make smart decisions with it. I think that's another common theme. And it may seem like, wow, that's a bad problem. What a great problem to have. Well, it's not a good problem to have because if you raise money, you should be as scrappy as you ever were. And that's when you can make some really bad decisions. Mm. Gosh, Mm. I love that. Any like vague case like story that you have? My own company. (laughs) Like, like, it was crazy. At one point we had so many people. I, I tell the story all the time. I'm like, we were so fat. We were so fat and, you know, you can, it's, it's not, you should have to justify every single dollar you spend and every single hire. If you don't need to hire a full headcount, you know, sometimes it's better to outsource. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm a big fan now of outsourcing because that can be much more efficient and, even though I'm proud of the fact that we hired so many people and for a lot of people, we were the reason they, they were able to buy their first house and everything. I, I think that in some cases you do not need to hire a full head count. Mm-hmm. There are people out there that do a really good job like you guys and, and they might be able to do a better job for less money than having a full head count. Mm-hmm. So is the main reason because like to have too many employees because you're maybe bleeding money or is it do you think smaller teams sometimes just all of the above you know a payroll is the biggest cost for a lot of companies and then also you aren't maybe thinking smartly you should justify Mm -hmm. everything like you should be looking at the ROI on everything like is this make sense these marketing dollars that we're spending over here or 
you know, in a way like we should have been thinking every single person needs to either be generating revenue or generating uh, traffic, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, eyeballs. And if they're not doing that, how are they at least supporting those two initiatives? And if you can't really figure that out, then why are they here? I love that. I'm a big fan of small streams. So yeah. <laughs> I'm into that. So what are some of your favorite CPG brands right now? Ones that you've worked with or ones that you admire? Oh my gosh. Uh, I have like some beauty ones and some of them are owned by friends, but I just love them. Uh, Briogeo is a hair care brand that I just love. And I love the founder. He's a friend of mine, but it, I think they're really creative and their packaging is great. Um, Oh my God, that's such a hard, it's like Sophie's choice, having this like a child. Um, <laughs> I hate some brands that we should be looking at to like Yeah, maybe not favorite. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you who's in this next track, but there's one in particular that I think is amazing. Um, <sighs> they're, they're all amazing, but this one I'm just like addicted to. Is it in Food and Bev? Wait. Can you tell us that? It is in Food and Bev. Stay tuned. Oh. I cannot wait. So can people follow along with progress? Would they just need to follow each yeah, individual follow brand? Yeah, follow our social. We have something today. Just like stay tuned. Mm-hmm. We will be announcing. We this will... is like Shark Tank Austin local. Yes, Hot it is. <laughs> but better. <laughs> but better. How fun is that? So do you post updates on your Instagram for SKU's Instagram on how the track's going? Yeah, we do. And we, we try to feature our mentors, our companies, um, you know, words of wisdom from them. And then, um, you know, that, that to me is who SKU is. SKU is not me. It's not, SKU is our, our founders and our mentors and, and the products. So we try to put those front and center on our social. Very cool. When are you announcing? The first week in January week can't wait yes we'll let you know so you can uh like you can yell it to the world yeah we'll shout it out for sure awesome well i think that this one is one that we always like asking because we want to be inspired too and we always love hearing about new innovative inspirational people so who are some cpg entrepreneurs that really inspire you hmm Oh gosh. Uh, there's a guy who I met this year who's with Pepsi. His name is Paul Nardone. I think he's amazing. He was the CEO of uh, Annie's, you know, the pasta sauce, but he's also founded a couple of companies and he just like his, his whole perspective on, um, on why you create new products and how you create new products is just fascinating and wonderful. I mean, I love Scott Jensen. I think he's amazing. He just gives so much of his time. And, you know, like when he talks about how he created his company in this whole new category, I think that's really inspiring. That's Rhythm Superfoods, right? Yeah. And then of course, Clayton Christopher, because he just, everything he touches turns to gold. How is that? <laughs> I know. I'm just glad he's a part of, like that he's involved with Skew because he's he's amazing. It's like Waterloo, sparkling water. Oh yeah, Clayton was involved. Taboo, uh, you know, Clayton was involved. You know, he was a founder. You know, it's, it's pretty amazing. So just those people who have that potential. Um, Jason Karp, founder of Hugh Kitchen, who just started, he, 
uh, Human Co. And like just these serial entrepreneurs are amazing to me. Yeah, super inspirational. And I just wonder when they sleep. They don't. Yeah. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> they hang upside down in their caves because they're they're bats and they don't they don't sleep. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, a final question for you. In your opinion, what are three small things or maybe big things that small consumer goods brands should focus on to experience growth? Um, let's see. Well, know who your core audience is. Really, really know. And it may be totally different than who you think it is. So be very open to having your, like having that, like we had a company who thought that their market was millennials and it was really moms of young kids and their marketing had to be completely different for one versus the other. But had they focused on the one, they would have been completely missing out on who their market really was and may not have succeeded. Um, let's see I, what I said about like, make sure that you stay scrappy, uh, you know, really every penny should have an ROI to it. So be doing, have metrics, have scorecards, KPIs, you know, as, as much as you can, like be measuring things, like try to get disciplined, like right out of the gate so that you can measure everything that you're doing. And, you know, then you can like pull the levers, but if you don't know why something is affecting, like, oh, our sales jumped up, but we don't know why, like, then you can't replicate it. So like really get granular about your metrics. And then what else? Do I have to have three? No, you don't. <laughs> I love those two. That's okay. Perfect. Let's keep it at two. Yeah. I think, and we talked to Emily Keeley and I think that was the first thing she said, know your core audience, know who you're talking to and selling yeah. to. So Everything you do affects that. Everything. Yeah. yeah. And that, that may be the hardest thing. Mm-hmm. And that's the hardest thing to change your, your mindset around too, because sometimes you just really are set. I remember having this conversation with um, John Paul DeJoria, who was actually one of our investors, you know, the ponytail Paul Mitchell guy. Yep. Um, And I said something, he said, you know, like, we don't really have curly hair products. I'm like, you do. You're sculpting foam. Every curly girl I know uses the sculpting foam, but it's not for curly hair, but they're using it. And I bet if you do an analysis, they're the ones that are, that are spending the most money they were the ones who were buying the sculpting foam. So it's like, you think it's here, but it's these women and they are buying like a can every two weeks. And you're not speaking to them at all. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So, um, you know, (laughs) it was kind of almost a a comical conversation. I'm like, you do have products. I use your products. We had a woman who wrote a poem on Naturally Curly about one of their products, a a foaming pomade. It, It was a poem. It was the craziest thing because she loved it so much. Like, oh, you have curly products. I, I gotta find that poem. Yeah. <laughs> Missed opportunities for sure. Yeah. Know yeah. your audience. Stay scrappy. I think yeah. those are great pieces of advice to leave CPG owners and marketers with. I think that's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining thank us. You. This Michelle. has been so fun. I really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah, definitely. Is there anything you want to leave the audience with? Well, stay, call to action. Follow. Yeah, well, stay tuned for the MO track because I we're super excited about that. 
And then for the track nine company announcement. Yeah. Can't wait. We'll have it. We'll have it ready to share. Okay. Wonderful. Well, thanks guys. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Michelle. Bye. Ooh, My Social Circle is a CPG agency-driven podcast based out of Austin, Texas. We're excited to share more behind-the-scene insights, chats with industry leaders, and whatever else we learn along the way. Follow us on Instagram at umaimarketing or check out our website, umaimarketing.com. Catch you back here soon.